everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano welcoming you to another episode, a regular episode of the Acts podcast. And today we'll be going over the readings and the, specifically the uh, the first reading and the gospel reading for the third Sunday in Ordinary Time here in Year C. And uh, before we get to that, let's get to this. We'll pray our Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Sunday, in, in a way, represents the beginning of our journey through Luke's Gospel. Uh, last week, we got the reading on the baptism, not the baptism, excuse me, the uh, the wedding feast at Cana, and which is our Lord's you know first public miracle and one of those manifestations of his identity and his power as the redeemer and savior that was promised. And but really, beginning today. And for most of the rest of the Sundays of the year, we're going to be hearing from Luke's Gospel. Now, there's going to be exceptions to this, especially when we get in to Lent and Easter. Uh, we're, we're going to hear more from John during those times. It'll be kind of a mix, if you will, of a combination of hearing from Luke and also hearing from from John. Uh, but for the most part, we'll be hearing from from Luke's Gospel. And here we have... Jesus described as going to the temple as was his custom in order to worship God, to, to presumably to listen to the word of God and through Holy Scripture and to hear the preaching. But this time it's turned around and he is the one invited to actually proclaim the reading. And before we kind of get to that, that second part, let's get to the first part of of Luke's, of Luke's uh, passage here, because here we have two really we're the 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 reading begins in in kind of one chapter and then it skips three chapters and totally shifts gears. So it it begins uh, this this gospel passage with Luke one one to four, and here we have Luke kind of giving his his preamble, and he's talking to uh, Theophilus. And he is telling him that, you know, many people have attempted to write this story of Jesus's life, and now I'm, I'm taking my swing at it, but I am doing it in a very orderly fashion. I have talked to the people that are witnesses. I have uh, consulted other sources, and I'm going to write my account, this orderly account as accurately as I possibly can. In this particular case, you know, Theophilus isn't necessarily uh, identified with a particular individual. The word Theophilus means friend of God, uh, so it really could be any of us who are friends of God reading this. But what, what Luke is trying to drive home, and it's something which I have, uh, you know, if, if you've listened or read uh, the blog or the uh, the, here the podcast, 
uh, is that this is not mythology. What, what Luke is proposing to us is not mythology, but history, which involves eyewitnesses and involves also other sources, uh, uh, written and oral. And so we have to go into, into this with that, with that mindset. You know, we, again, we can get into a whole other thing about how to approach the Bible and how to approach Scripture and how the understanding of genre uh, and what genre you're, you're reading. There's, things, there's poetry and there's saga and there's history and there's journalism. I don't know if there's journalism in, in Scripture, but that's a, that's a form of uh, a writing. That's a, that's a particular approach to, to writing, which is distinct from all others. And each book of the Bible has at least one genre that it is being written in. Sometimes it even has more than one. Okay, St. Paul's letters are letters. They're, for the most part, discourses. But he is also prone to throw in some poetry, and uh, poetry that we believe probably were early Christian hymns. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, again, the, the some, some of the books of the Old Testament, the prophets in particular, sometimes there's a... There'll be a mix between discourse, between poetry, and even between narrative of uh, you know accounts of what the the prophet said and did and how he interacted with different people. And so here from the beginning, what Luke is trying to get through to, to us, who are friends of God, is that he is giving us an account of Jesus's life that's being put together in an organized and orderly way. Okay, Doesn't necessarily mean that he's approaching this like a modern historian. It, uh, you know, For him, orderly could mean, for instance, taking Jesus' parables and sort of putting them together and, and having them run together. Uh, it could be sort of having you know, some of the discourses, again, kind of put together and organized together and some of the narratives kind of organized in certain ways that don't necessarily you know match up to chronological order but maybe match up to thematic order okay so you know sayings about the the kingdom of god for instance are going to be put together it doesn't necessarily mean that jesus said them all at one time or in that same discourse but that it's re- it's reflective of the idea that okay we're we're this is the theme that we're covering this is the this is the theme that we're trying to get through. The the second part of this reading, as I said, involves Jesus in the synagogue, and he's in the synagogue in his hometown, and he is presented with the scroll in order to read, and he takes from the prophet Isaiah, and. He quotes from the from the from the book of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, he brings glad tidings to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. So basically what he is telling them is that indeed, at the very least, I am a prophet and maybe even more than that. Maybe I, I am the one who you have been waiting for. Uh, 
And we really only hear uh, the good things in this reading, that when he rolled this, the, the, the scroll up, and he says, Today, uh, this day of the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, you know, Luke follows up by saying, uh, and all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the, gracious, at the gracious words that came forth from his mouth. But immediately they also asked, which, which we don't hear, is, isn't this the son of Joseph? <laughs> okay, who, who is this guy? Why, he's, he's the fulfillment of this, of this reading. And so from the beginning, Jesus is a polarizing figure. Uh, he's someone who people either accept or they reject him. Uh, he, there is no in-between with Jesus. You either accept him or you reject him. Either you really believe that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and has anointed him to bring glad tidings to the poor and to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, or you don't, you just don't, you can't, wrap your mind around it or believe it, that this carpenter from, from Nazareth, this who in the eyes of the world is this uneducated peasant, uh, here is actually proclaiming to be the Messiah and then really eventually claiming to be something even more than just the Messiah, to be the son of the living God, to be equal with God himself, to be our divine Savior and Lord. Now, what I when I was kind of reflecting over over this reading, I was also reflecting on the first reading from Mass today, which is uh, the reading from the the book of Nehemiah. And again, we find ourselves in. A religious house. Instead of the synagogue, the local synagogue, we are in the Jerusalem temple itself. And we are in the context of Israel, Jerusalem, excuse me, Jerusalem and the, and the tribe of Judah being allowed back in order to rebuild the city and reestablish the temple after 70 years of exile. And Nehemiah was the governor kind of put in charge uh, of the reestablishment of Israel by King Cyrus of Persia, who had granted them their freedom. And Ezra was a priest who kind of oversaw the religious aspects. And it's Ezra who actually reads the book of the law to the people that in one sense had been lost. Uh, in that time of exile, the Hebrew had stopped being the common language of the Jewish people, and they'd begun to adopt the, the language Aramaic, which is, if we remember, that's the, the language really that Jesus spoke. And there was this sort of separation between themselves and the word of God. And so the, the people that have just been released from captivity and even some of those who had been able to stay behind in the city are now gathering in the temple and they hear this 
book of the law, this book of these books of Moses, what we would call the, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's as if they're hearing it for the first time, because in many cases they had been hearing this is them hearing it for the first time. And they begin to cry and they begin to become very overwhelmed because they realize that they have not been living the way that the Lord has called them to live. They have not been living by the word and by the divine law. And you know, Ezra basically tells them, don't be sad. This is a great day. We've been given the word again. We know now of God's law. This is a day to rejoice, not to be sad, not to put on sackcloth and ashes, but to really rejoice in the Lord. And that's really what we, we should do. Now, what I see here, and kind of what came to me, again, as I was re reflecting on this, is that in both cases, we're dealing with the Word of God being proclaimed in the liturgical assembly. And this is very important, because th there's oftentimes this idea that, that Jesus came and rejected uh, religi the religious establishment and liturgical worship. And if you really look at the scripture, our Lord, while he is very critical of the religious leadership, and while he echoes the voices of many of the Old Testament prophets, criticizing those who are fastidious about their, their temple sacrifices, but yet are, are treating one another uh, cruelly and uncharitably and without love, he nonetheless, from the time of his childhood, is ever-present in the temple on those very important feast days. It was their custom to go to the temple to celebrate Passover when he was growing up in the house of Nazareth with the holy family of Mary and Joseph. In John's Gospel, our Lord is recorded as to have made three trips to Jerusalem for the observance and celebration of various feasts. Okay, the other Gospels only report that last trip to Jerusalem for, the, for his final Passover before his passion and death. But John records three trips to Jerusalem. His heart is on fire with zeal for what he calls his father's house and the temple. And as we hear in the gospel reading today, it was his custom on the Sabbath to go to the synagogue. Far from being uh, a separatist, if you will, and far from, from uh, trying to downplay or separate himself or to say somehow that, that temple or synagogue worship was not necessary, Jesus was an active participant in those ceremonies and in that worship. And even if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, the, uh, the worship of the Apostles revolves around doing what? At the beginning, 
going to the temple at various times of the day. And St. Paul often preached in synagogues. You know, the, the two things that, that really helped facilitate the spread of Christianity through the Mediterranean world were Roman roads and Jewish synagogues. Roman roads that connected all the Mediterranean, we're talking about Europe, the Middle East, North Africa, all connected together with Roman roads. And what was also in just about every major and even a few minor cities, synagogues. Okay, the Jewish, the Jewish people were, they were Jewish communities in almost every major city in the, in the empire, and like I said, probably even a, f- a few smaller ones. So between this network of roads that connected them and this network of synagogues, Paul was able to preach and to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And in the first letter to the Corinthians, he emphasizes greatly the importance of the Lord's Supper and of coming together and to share that meal with one another, to share it worthily, obviously, and to, but to really understand what that meal is about and how that meal is a, a partaking in the body and blood of Christ. And so that this assembly, far from being sort of incidental, is something very central to our life as Christians. What I'm kind of driving at and what I'm kind of laboring toward is to say that, that as Vatican II tells us, the, the, the Word of God has its privileged place in the liturgy, in our Sunday gatherings. Praise God, as Catholics, we have, we have the opportunity to go to Mass every day. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is offered every day. And I know that with the pre-shortage we have, there are some parishes that have limited how many days of the week that they celebrate the Mass, but we can find a Mass somewhere. Thank heaven in our parish, we still have you know, Mass every day. In fact, we have three Masses, uh, I'm talking about four Masses every day at our parish, and then 11, par- uh, 11 on the weekends between Saturday night and, and, su- and Sunday. So plenty of opportunities to come and to, yes, hear the Word of God. Our Lord wants us to come together. We are, not, we are saved as individuals. God knows us by name. That's all true. But he came to form us into a people. The Mass is not meant to be celebrated by watching it on a computer screen or by watching it on a television. And the sooner we can get back to actually being together, being able to join together, to hear the word of God proclaimed, and to hear that word broken and shared through the homily, and then to sort of cap it all off by coming forward and receiving the bread of life, receiving the word made flesh under the appearance of bread and wine, the living word, the word which is active and vital and cuts like a t- double-edged sword. Really, the, 
the more we're really going to be fulfilling what Christ wants. Christ wants us to be together. Christ wants us to celebrate the Eucharist together. And I know that that, that has been difficult. And I know that there are people that are afraid. And I, I can, and I can hear the objections that some people are going to throw out at me about safety and, and you know, about our health and protecting our health and protecting the health of our our neighbors and our family members, and that is all true. But, you know, do we go to the supermarket to shop? Have we been to a sporting event recently? Have we flown on a plane? Have we taken a bus? Have we been in any kind of open and social situation. If we've done those things, we can get to church on Sunday. We can come to Mass. This is really what the Lord wants for us and really what the Lord wants us to do because we do not work out our salvation in isolation. It is as a people walking together, hearing the word together, and living the word together that we work out our salvation. And it is only through receiving the bread of life that we truly will have eternal life within us. And so let us come back. Let us come back to that celebration of the Eucharist, to hear the word of God proclaimed where it's meant to be proclaimed, and to receive the sacrament in love and in truth. And yes, my, my sisters and brothers, it's good that we have Bibles in our home. I've always said this. It's good that we, we study the Scripture. It's good that we pray the Scripture. You know, our Lord has you know, told us, go, you know, there, are times, there are times when we need to go into our inner room, our private space, and just meditate and commune with the Lord and pray to Him ourselves. But ours is a liturgical religion, and we should not be afraid of that or ashamed of that, because Christ grew up in a liturgical religion, and he lived liturgical religion his whole life, and he never rejected it. He always tried to remind us that what we celebrate in the liturgy needs to penetrate us, to form us, and to mold us, and to, so that we become greater reflections of Christ in the world and that it affects our behavior, it affects our morality, it affects how we, we treat those around us, not as judgmental individuals, but as ones that are loving and open. And yes, that we live that, prop, that, that, that gift of prophecy as well to be prophets as well. Um, you know, St. John Bosco, we're, we're in this novena to St. John Bosco. And, you know, St. John Bosco lived in a, in a very difficult time. He lived in a time of revolution. He lived in a time when, uh, po you know, political forces were trying to limit 
and in some cases actually eliminate the church, quite frankly, and to kind of relegate the church to to, to a second-class status in society. And it was not easy. But he, what he always tried to do was to bring his boys together in order to form them really as a community. You know, Don Bosco maybe didn't talk in those ways. That wasn't his, his language. But his mission really was to proclaim the good news to the poor, as our Lord talks about in the scripture reading today, and specifically to the young and the poor. But he did that by bringing them together, by having them come to his oratory and really live the Christian life to its fullest. Yes, worship and prayer and devotion, that, that was the heart of it. And coming to the Eucharistic table was definitely at the core of what he was trying to lead his young people to. But he also had them play and jump and scream and have fun and sing and put on plays and to play games all right, and to teach them a trade, to teach them a way in the world that they could really be productive citizens and good citizens and informed citizens to truly Christify the world. But we can only do that if we can bring our young people together. If we have that freedom to be able to truly live the Christian life as our Lord intended it, which is as a community, as a community of believers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that off right there. Again, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your prayers. Know that I am praying for you. Uh, we'll have, again, as the days go on and the week goes on, we'll have more uh, additions. Again, we'll have our regular midweek episode, and then we'll each day we're going to continue to post the novena, and that you can pray along with the novena to St. John Bosco. Uh, his feast day being uh, the Monday uh, coming up. Not tomorrow, obviously, but tomorrow's the feast of Francis de Sales. And maybe we could talk a little, maybe I'll put a little something up about Francis de Sales later. But I wanted to put this up about, about the word in today and, you know, the Sunday readings now. Okay, God bless all of you. Thank you for your prayers. Please pray for me, and I'll be praying for you. Until the next time, God bless you. Bye-bye.